our text is from First Peter chapter 5, <clears throat> and uh, it is uh, verses 6 and 7. First Peter chapter 5, I'm sorry, uh, uh, verses 5 and 6 is where we're going to read today. Uh, 5 and 6 uh, on today. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 5. Uh, 5 and 6. And the word comes to us saying, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, <clears throat> under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And today we want to talk from this thought, humility provides the right perspective. Humility provides the right perspective. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Perhaps the last thing that the human mind wants to do is to be wrong. We do not normally enjoy being wrong. When somebody points out that we're wrong, that's not a time for celebration. Usually it's a time for uh, retaliation or, <laughs> or we actually will have opportunity to say, well, I want to defend myself even though you think I'm wrong. And uh, every married couple will know that. Amen. <laughs> but one of the sweetest, sweetest notions for our flesh is is when we are right, and of course, when others are wrong. Our flesh revels in this feeling. In fact, uh, left to its own devices, I'm fairly sure that my flesh would simply enjoy being right all the time. Just let, just let, just let it go to its own own devices. I'd be, I'd, I'd really like to be right all the time, but we are not right. All the time. In fact, we are wrong many more times than we are right. The flesh desires to be right, but because of our imperfections, our shortcomings, and our weaknesses, our flesh is mostly just dead wrong. Do I have a witness there? When we become believers in Christ, one hard habit to break is listening to and viewing the world through the lens of our flesh. We have a hard time breaking up with our flesh. Many of us in our Christian walk try to keep courting our flesh. We date our flesh. We call our flesh every now and then. We keep, some of us keep our flesh on speed dial. Amen. 
And so, and so it's hard to break up with our flesh. The flesh or the human spirit that is without Christ is unruly and prideful. And these are not comfortable admissions for us to make. It is never pleasant to admit that after everything is said and done, we are by nature prideful creatures that love to have it our own way. That's why Burger King was so successful with the have it your own way uh, ad campaign. You can have it your way. And everybody, wow, I can have it my way. I go in and order what I want. And so, why, you know, and, and that's, that's why I asked this question, why do you think that those that, who work in marketing and advertising are so successful at what they do? They understand clearly the aggressive and prideful nature of humanity. They begin working on us at an early Age, parents, you can help me here. How many of us in here remember seeing a commercial as a child, then running to explain to our parents the reason we had to have the latest shoes, clothes, or toys? Now I don't know about you, I go back a little bit, and for me, it was PF Flyer. That's why I laugh at Adam about his Jordan crush because, because I had a PF Flyer crush. PF Flyers were the shoes that Superman wore and, and, and I would always see the commercial. And back in those days, Brother Don, it was black and white. There's black and white TV. And so you have, I would see the commercial and PF Flyers would be on and, and all of those things. And I'm like, Mom, I gotta have Dad some PF Flyers. And I found out through the magic of Google that they still sell. <laughs> Preparing for this message. So my wife can expect a few shipments coming to the house <laughs> of PF flyers. And so and so it was but but it was the it was the magic of advertising that was appealing to my flesh. You just have to have it. Car dealers do the same thing. You might have seen that commercial for the Mercury car, uh, um, uh, the, the MK, whatever it is, the, the crossover with Matthew McConaughey. That's one of the coolest dudes ever, right? And, he, and he's just riding along with his hair slicked back, and, and it's nighttime, and he's riding this beautiful car. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that could be me. extra 50 or 60 thousand dollars laying around I, I could actually get that car but uh, but it, it's it appeals it's designed and even when you don't want it to happen it happens it's designed to appeal to your flesh so they understand that the flesh and pride and all that is an aggressive thing in the human experience so it's safe to conclude that the human condition includes a natural Desire to trust in self, to be selfish no matter what, and to resist any effort to change that perspective. All of this, my brothers and sisters, is the result of the damage done by sin. Sin so completely distorts the human spirit, that we cannot think of anything other than self 
without Christ. I am not speaking of some small acts of random kindness that we may have done before we became Christians. On the contrary, I'm speaking of a general life perspective that is prideful and selfish. And I know nobody's saying amen on that one. (laughs) This is why some of us do not think we need Christ. Because every now and then, you do a good thing. Every now and then, you do something that you think is really okay. You may not be a Christian, but you consider yourself a good person. You're feeling feeling pretty good, got a little extra money. You're at the toll booth and you say, hey, I'm paying for the car behind me. At random act of kindness, a good thing. And you feel now that you are not in need of Christ because you're a good person. So that's what you convince yourself. I'm a good person because I do good things every now and then. Well, the Apostle Paul seemed to have a handle on the depths of human sinfulness as it relates to pride. Because even in those moments where we do these good things, many times our motivation is so that someone could recognize what a good thing we did. Hmm? Even if it's just a look on the toll booth operator's face that says, oh, that's nice of you. Our flesh begins to revel in that pride. That's right, I'm a good person. I paid a a dollar for somebody to come behind me in a toll booth. And so Paul seemed to have this this really good handle on on, uh, the human sinful condition when it comes to being prideful. His admonition to the church at Philippi provides a loud clarion call of attention toward the danger of a perspective that has self as center. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he writes these words. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And so many times we look at that and we say, well, generally I'm, I don't, I'm not selfish. I'm not a selfish person. But look at the words again. Do nothing. Nothing. Don't make a bargain with your flesh that says I can do one thing from selfish ambition or conceit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. What a struggle. Watch this now. Not only is it hard to count people that you don't know more significant than yourselves, it's hard to do that with some people you love. Huh? Isn't that right? It's hard to do that with people that we love because even though we love them, the flesh wants to rise up and say, What about me? How many people, a little frown on your face yesterday because you didn't get a Swedish day call? Huh? 
She playing with y'all. She know I don't do Sweetest Day. I, but ask her what she get on Valentine's. She get hooked up on Valentine's Day. That's right. But, but you, you know, you, you, get, you get beside yourself because somebody did not recognize you. And we start listening to that, that fleshly voice that says, after all I do. Oh, come on, somebody. After all I have done, all the labor I put in, I cook your food, clean the house. I, you know, I, oh, look at somebody shouting right now. I, I, I do all of these things, and yet you can't take a moment and at least recognize me on a made-up holiday? Did I say that out loud? I'm <laughs> so... So we have, we have this desire. The flesh has a desire to be recognized for its labor. And it's hard, even with people that we love, to put them ahead of ourselves. It's one of those things in our maturation process that sometimes gets derailed. And we bring it all the way from our childhood. Children want to be recognized. And they don't care where they are. Miles get this dedication. He said, I'm going to cry a little bit. I want you to know I'm here. <laughs> but we want to be recognized. And that comes from our childhood. So your children, wherever you are, they'll just start, mama, mama, mama. They'll call your name, mama, mama. I'm talking, mama. You're on the phone, mama, dad. I'm, they want your attention because there's nothing more important to them than what they want at that moment. Oh, take your child to the store and see what happens. My mother got to the point she had to start leaving me home and never go down the cereal aisle. Bad deal. Bad deal. My daughter was two or three years old, and, and I'm taking her to the store and going down the cereal aisle, and she just decided that she wanted some fruity pebbles, and that whatever she was going to do, she was going to get those fruity pebbles. I'm like, how does a two-year-old know about fruity pebbles and how, you know, it's the box. It's colorful for a reason. That's the cereal I want. And when I said no, she laid out in the floor. And you wouldn't know that by looking at her now, but she was a little chubby thing at that time. So you got this little chubby ball of baby laying in the floor at the grocery store, and I'm like, you know, terribly embarrassed. And so something said, just keep walking. <laughs> and I walked on, and she's laying there crying. At some point, it became more important to be with me than it was to have Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> So she got up. But the point is, the point is our flesh comes, this stuff comes from our inner child that never seems to kind of grow up. And it always wants what it wants when it wants it. And so Paul says, you have to do count others more significantly than yourselves. Let each of you look not only at his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And as Paul spoke loudly about this, Peter does the same here in our text. Peter challenges the exiles to whom he is speaking to have <clears throat> the proper perspective of life. It is a perspective that can only 
result from their relationship with Christ. It is a perspective that resists the temptation to place self ahead of God or others. It is a daily effort to remain humble even when their flesh wants to be prideful. So it's a daily struggle to say I must be humble because my flesh is telling me I'm the big dog. I'm the most important person. I'm the head honcho. And you know how we are. Don't fool around and give us a title. <laughs> you know, leader. Oh, my goodness. But like Paul, Peter knew that perspective or, or the way in which we view our world shapes the lives of believers and unbelievers. The unbeliever still sees life through only the lens of self. While God calls the believer to view his or her world through the life of Christ. As an unbeliever, all we could see was ourselves. As a believer in the gospel of Jesus, in this new and dynamic relationship we have with Christ, we are now to see the world through the life of Christ. So what I want is not more important than what Christ would want for me. What I want is not more important than what I'm called to or where I'm called to, or how I'm called in Christ. I always love this part because that's when we get quiet and you can like hear a mouse walk on cotton right now. <laughs> because that's where the rubber meets the road. Will I have my way or will I have God's way? And it's a challenge for every believer because Everything in the world is pulling you to have your way. You go to work and tell your story and somebody said, well, if I was you, I wouldn't do it like that. And you say, yeah, that's right. Girl, you don't have to put up with that man. That's right. I don't have to put up with him. And you go and you make decisions based on bad advice from people who don't know the Lord. You know some of your unsaved friends that have you fired up. Hmm? You go and tell them that uh, I went to church and, and, I, and only two people spoke to me all Sunday. Hey, I wouldn't go to that church if I was you. What kind of church is that? You're right. <laughs> Must be the wrong church. <laughs> and so that's what happens when we take that kind of advice. But we are to see the world through the lens and the life of Jesus Christ. And too many believers are not familiar enough with the level of humility that Christ showed in coming to earth. I said this yesterday. Can you imagine for a moment how, how humbling it must have been for Jesus to be God Almighty and put himself in this? 
Y'all ain't getting this thing, see? See, if you really got it, you really got it. I'm talking about flesh that wants to do its own thing. He pours himself into a human container where he did not by choice show the power of who he is, but his flesh, he allowed it to limit himself so that he can closely connect to our experience so he could walk among men. Can you imagine how it must have been to be the God of the universe and say, I'm going to put myself in a body that could get a headache? God never had no headache. (laughs) Can you imagine what it must have been like to say, I'm going to put myself into a body that can get some sore feet from walking all the time? When you're the God of the universe, you didn't have to walk anywhere. You just said things. You thought things and stuff happened. But you pour yourself into this body where it's subject to the aches and the pains of the human experience. Can you imagine how humbling that must have been? So the next time you think you really humbled yourself, think about what God did in putting himself into a human body. That could be subject to pain. Nobody could dare take a whip and whip the father. Nobody has a whip big enough and any power on earth that could hurt God. But Christ came here just for the express purpose that he could feel the pain for the sake of our sin. You ought to get excited right there. So and so so we must see the world through the life of Christ. Peter gives us three reasons for living in humility and why that is the right perspective. The first reason is that humility provides the proper view of others. Verse 5 says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. In the context of submitting to spiritual leadership, Peter reveals the great lesson of humility. If we are truly willing to be humble, one true and sure means by which we may test our humility is how we respond to our leaders. You want to know how humble you are? How do you respond to leadership? How do you take the idea of being led? Wives, how do you respond to the leadership of your husband? When he provides leadership, are you the one that says, well, I don't see it that way. I'm helping somebody in here today. (laughs) Are you the person at work when the leader says something, are you the person that is always, no matter what, at odds with your leader? As soon as the leader say left, you say right. Soon leader says up, you say down. Leader says go, you say I ain't going nowhere. Are you that person? 
Are you the person that can never, ever just be led? Must it always require your input, your contrary contribution? Are you the one that says, well, we'll go that way, but I'm going to tell you, I don't want to. Is that you? You want to measure your humility. Now, of course, I'm not speaking of when your leader is leading you off a cliff. <laughs> you know, you see a cliff. Uh, no, nah, I'm not going. That's the right thing. Paul puts it in this context. He says, follow me as long as I follow Christ. And see, here's the thing about real spiritual leadership. It ought to show you and demonstrate Christ anyway, so you ought not have a problem following somebody that's following Christ. But what happens in the church far too often when it comes to spiritual leadership, you know, we've let Western democracy impress itself on the Christian theocracy. And so what's more important is that we get our say. And the church has its own political parties. Yes, it does. It has the folks that are always on board. Then it has the folks that always walk alongside the wagon. Then it has the people that are never going to be on board, but they follow the wagon. And all of us run candidates for office. And so when we think about how Western democracy has imposed itself on the church, it's like we can't do anything without putting it to a vote. I'm doing a, 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 a consulting for a church now, and one of the biggest problems they have, they're, they're stymied and stuck because they have to vote on everything. We even have taken offices out of democracy and put them into the church because now we have presidents in the church. We have some churches, I'm the vice president. I'm the president of the choir. Why does the choir need a president? Why, why do we have to have a, a elected secretary of the choir so that you can keep minutes of the meeting? What job does the choir have but singing the praises of God? That's the job. Every meeting ought to be the same. How are we going to sing the praises of God? <laughs> ought to be the same meeting. That's, that's an easy easy task but see we've we've taken this idea of what we want and put it into the church see we can't have leadership unless we have our say and believe me there are churches out there brothers and sisters that will change pastors before they change the way they do business hmm I'm so glad that's not here <laughs> But, 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 but see, you have to ask, are you that person? Our humility often rests on the ability to recognize that our leaders have a different obligation and a different perspective than we do. As much as the children of Israel would have wanted to all have some experience that Moses had, they weren't all at the burning bush. And after a while, it took them a minute, but they recognized 
uh, Moses, uh, never mind. We don't want to go up there and see God. You handle that business. When they saw Moses come down from the mountain and his whole countenance was changed by being in the presence of God, they said, no, I like my black hair. I'm going to keep it. I'm, if God turned your hair gray, I, I, I don't want that. Moses, you handled that. And so there's a different obligation that our leaders have. If you want to test your humility, how do you recognize and accept that obligation that the leader has? A different perspective, a different view. Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have rule over you because they watch for your soul. Any woman that's married to a pastor will tell you that if that pastor's worth his salt, that he will he will spend time in reflection over the souls of the people that God has put in his charge there are times when my wife will want to talk to me and my mind is so far away because my mind is on you because i want the very best for you and i thank god that i have a patient wife that can take the time to to reel me back in and say yep but you know what we got to spend some time here and that's a good thing amen but it's, it's a different perspective and obligation in leadership. So if you really want to know, if you really want to know, humility provides a, a different uh, perspective on how we see others. And we know that through how we view leadership in this context. The second thing that humility provides, it provides the proper view of yourself. Peter says this, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud. There's a reason that God calls his children to the position of humility. He desires us to view ourselves in a context by which we can receive his blessing. God wants you in a position to be blessed. And if you're prideful, you are out of position for blessing. Do you get that? You're out of position for blessing. Humility leads to blessing while pride, according to Proverbs 16, 18, leads to destruction. So the more prideful we are, the more we it destruction that we invite in our own lives. Here's something for all of you married couples. If you operate in pride, you are destroying your marriage. Marriage calls for the highest degree of maturity of any human relationship. You have to practice putting the needs of the other ahead of your own. You can't live with somebody in peace and you want your way all the time. Do I have a witness? Huh? Just every now and then you have to acquiesce and say, my way is not the important thing here. If you want to have peace in your home. Now, you know, if you dress for battle every day. <laughs> Wake up in the morning, you had full battle attire on. <laughs> you know, you look like a knight in shining armor. You're ready to fight every day. That's not peace. 
That's not the marriage. I'm helping somebody here. That's not the marriage that God has for you. That's not how God designed marriage to be. So humility leads to blessing. Pride leads to destruction. How many destructive things have happened in your life simply because of your pride? Simply because your view of self was mired in self-importance and self-indulgence. I know if I'm honest today, a lot of decisions I made, I wasn't thinking about anything or anybody but myself. Amen. Just throw your hand up real fast if you've done that. I don't want anybody you know, get another view of you. They, they really believe you're holy because you're here today. I mean, <laughs> But the truth is, many of us, especially in our B.C., our before Christ, had those moments where our lives were so self-indulgent that it seemed like nothing or nothing else, nobody else mattered because we were so into self. When we walk in pride, we are always, watch this, we are always walking in opposition to God. God opposes the proud. Humility or the subjugating of ourselves to the will of Christ will always place us in harmony with God. So if you walk in pride, you'll always be in opposition to God. If you walk in humility, you'll always be in harmony with God. There's no, no, no real gray matter there. There's no real gray, gray area there. The, the issue is, will you walk in humility and be in harmony with God, or will you walk in pride and keep trying to do things your own way? And the thing I love about the Lord, he will get out of your way when you insist on having your way. (laughs) He's not going to force you to do his will. He'll say, all right, have at it. See how that works out. And it always works out for the worse in our lives. And And so we walk in pride, we're in opposition to God. We walk in humility, and we, and we always be in harmony. The last thing that that Peter really shares with us here about humility and this perspective of humility is that humility provides the proper view of God and His grace. Humility gives us the proper view of God and His grace. Notice how much of this is about how you position yourself. Okay? Peter says, humble yourselves. Wait a minute. I'm waiting on somebody else to do. I want somebody else to humble me. Pastor, teach me how to be humble. Wife, husband, teach me how to be humble. Humble yourselves. This is something that every one of us who are believers in Christ must mandate that we do on a daily basis. You don't wake up one morning and say, I've humbled myself and that's it for the rest of my life. It's not how it works. Every day, Lord, I place your will above my will. And if you want to know if you're doing this pretty good, think about what you pray for. Do you pray for the things you want? 
or do you pray for the things God wants? Hmm? Are you praying for a house, a car, a better life, more money, a bet? When I get to yours, just say some better marriage, better job, all those things. Are you praying for those things? Or are you praying simply, Lord, let your will be done in my life? If you're praying his will, sometimes his will is for you to glorify him in suffering. Are you hearing me today? Sometimes his will is for you to magnify him, for you to make him big in pain. I realize that God never became big bigger to me than it was those moments of my personal pain in those moments God was really big hallelujah I could see the bigness of God because I understood that in my pain I was not being sustained by my own strength but in my pain it was the grace and the strength and the mercy of God that was sustaining me He was holding me. Hallelujah. When I thought I was walking on my own, he was the strength in my legs. When I thought that I was praising by lifting my own arms, he was the one that was holding up my hands. Hallelujah. He says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Bring all that is you under the submission of Christ and his will. Know that you will be fine even if you suffer for his sake. Nobody really exhibits this like the Hebrew boys in the book of Daniel. They said to them, you bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and you'll be off the hook. If you don't, you're going into a blazing, hot, fiery furnace. We're going to just throw you in there. There'll be, we'll close the door. We don't even think about you. Won't be anything left of you to bury. And they said, King, be it known to thee that we will not bow down. And I'm paraphrasing, not today. Not tomorrow. You can call us next week. You can hit us up on the sale. You can send us a text. You can tweet it. You can put it on Facebook. We will not bow down. And the Bible says that the furnace was so hot that it killed the men that threw them in it. But in the face of that, believing that God is able to deliver them, they walked around in the fire. And the king said, wait a minute, I'm a king. I had the best math in the kingdom. And, I, and, 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 and I, did, didn't, we, didn't we count three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That's just three. One, two, three. Why is it that I see four walking around in the fire and the fourth one just kind of looked like he don't belong here? He's the son of God. Jesus will be with you in the fire. Hmm. 
when you humble yourself, under God's hand means under his direction and his will. And look at this last thing, because you'll see God in a new way when you humble yourself. You'll go under his mighty hand so that the proper time, See, you think it's time for you to be exalted. God says you're not ready yet. Hmm? I, I can't bless you with what you're asking for because it will become an idol in your life. I can't give you that husband you've been praying for because you'll make him into an idol right now. You haven't learned how to really worship me ahead of all things. And so you're so worried about a husband or a wife that you are missing an opportunity to know who I am. So it's not the proper time. It's not the proper time. See, see, for every, every Ruth in here today, let me help you understand something. If you want that husband, you want that right husband, you don't go out looking for somebody that's supposed to be looking for you. Are you hearing me today? You out looking for somebody. I got to find me a man. How are you going to find a man? The Bible says the man that finds a wife finds a good thing. And if you want to be found, be found in the vineyard of the Lord. Be found working in the presence of God. And your Boaz will find you. Because any good man, any godly man is not down at the link bar looking for you. He's in the house of the Lord because he wants a godly woman who's gleaning in the fields of God. I'm helping somebody in here today. God desires to exalt you at the proper time. And this means a recognition that he is the one that is bringing us from the lowly state of of sin to the exalted state of grace. He doesn't exalt you by putting your name on CNN. That's not how God works. He doesn't exalt you by making you, uh, uh, giving you a title and all those kind of things. And you know, you're the king of the world and all that kind of stuff. That's not how God exalts you. He says the greatest exaltation in your life is that I change your status from sinner to sinner saved by my grace. And every believer ought to get excited right there because you've been exalted. Thank God that you've been exalted. Thank God that he took you out of the muck and the mire of sin and he put your feet on solid ground. And now you can stand on the rock. And somebody said, on Christ, the solid rock I stand because all of the ground is sinking sand. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. It's on Christ, on Christ, on Christ that I stand. He wants to bring you from sin and shame to grace and mercy. From hurt 
and pain to being your personal spiritual physician. He doesn't promise that there won't be pain. But as my grandmother used to say, he'll always be a doctor in your sick room. He'll be your lawyer in the courtroom. He'll be your father when you're fatherless. He'll be your mama when you need a mama. He'll be everything that you need. If you're single, he'll be your husband. He'll be your wife. He'll be everything that you need. If you believe that today, stand on your feet for just a moment. Hallelujah. As we celebrate the goodness of the Lord, humility gives you a new and right perspective of life. As Christians, in the midst of the persecution that we have faced in this country today, where it's not popular to stand for Christ, Take a moment and humble yourself and say, God, if I have to suffer for the gospel, so be it. I will be a walking person of apologetics. What that means is I'm always going to be about Christ. Even when it's uncomfortable, people ask me, I'm going to be about Christ. That's who God is calling for in these last and evil days. We've gotten too comfortable, Christian church in America. We've gotten too comfortable. We believe that everything ought to go our way. And I'm telling you, God is calling for humility. That people who need and seek truth will be able to look at our lives and see the very change that grace and mercy brings into our lives. So humble yourself so that God can 